So we've been in a series of revealing Jesus um, in the context of the book of John. Uh, it's it's a it's a beautiful book. It's a, an incredible book, as all the Bible is. But we've been working through John. We've been discovering who Jesus is. You know what was his purpose for coming to Earth in in the form of a man. What it means to be born again. We learnt about um, last week about his authority as a son of God. We've been learning how the kingdom works. And today we'll be looking at John chapter six. Um, and it's quite appropriate. We had communion this morning. Uh, I didn't know we were going to have it. Then I, I realized, but because John, the, the teaching in John six was, was quite foundational to, to what was later to become communion when, when Jesus asked his disciples at the, at the, at the last supper to, to do that in his remembrance. And the teaching in this, in this chapter was foundational to, to that. Um, so I've titled this message, Jesus, Bread of Life, the Bread of Life. Um, and so in John 6, um, the, the interesting thing, what, what this also showed me is that, you know, we've been, in, as I said, in, in this series of revealing Jesus, but how we receive that revelation of Jesus um, can actually be tainted by our perspective. It can be influenced by the worldview around us. It can be influenced by the culture around us, by the people we're with. Um, and how much we let that culture influence us. So even though Jesus reveals himself in his truth, the way we receive that can actually be influenced by what's going on around us and our circumstances. And we'll learn that in, in John 6 today. Um, and I'll, I'll get into it shortly, but I just wanted to frame my message with this verse um, in, in John six twenty six, which we'll read later. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, you are looking for me. Not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. So they were looking for him. That's what I'm saying. They were looking for him, not, not because of the truth, not because of the signs and what he was trying to show them through supernatural signs and wonders. They were looking for him because of, of the physical, of the bread that he provided them, that he multiplied. So Jesus was revealing himself, but they were, it was, it was in, they weren't receiving him in, in the way he wanted to be revealed. They were receiving him in the natural, in the physical, not in the spiritual truth as he was trying to teach them. And so that's why, that's why I just want to frame today that, you know, it's important for us to reflect. You know, there is truth, and Jesus reveals his truth, but it's important that we also take that truth in, in the right, in, in the right context, not framed by our own mind and our own things going on around us, sometimes our own circumstances. You know, we might be in, in good circumstances, in bad. We might be in grief. We might be in pain. We pray for a lot of people that are going through lots of things. And, uh, yeah, so it's important to remember that. So these, the context we're here is that we've got all these people that um, are following Jesus. They're searching for him. They've come to the other side of the lake. They've journeyed to try and find him. They want to get more of the blessing, you know. And they're they're seeking the 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 the, the, the seeking Jesus. He's becoming popular. Um, there's a lot going on. So let's start from the top. Let's start at John six verses one to four, and I'll be reading from the NIV. We can get that up there. Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. 
the Jewish Passover festival was near. I love how the opening verses here frame the narrative. They frame what's going on. Jesus' ministry is gaining popularity. You know, he's traveling around the countryside, performing miracles, healing people, you know, delivering people. He's casting out demons. He's challenging the thinking of, of the Pharisees who were, you know, ruling with all these rules. So all this stuff's going on. It's, it's framing what's happening in John chapter 6. And the people are coming out of their towns to see him. They're leaving their homes. They're coming to the countryside to hear this Jesus. Who is this Jesus? And it's incredible what he's doing. Um, the Passover festival is near, which is, 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 you know, the, the, la- the biggest, uh, the, the largest festival for the Jewish people. It's an important festival for them. So there's anticipation, you know, there's lots happening. They're preparing for the Passover and Jesus is, is going around the countryside. And so it frames this. There's like an air of excitement. You can imagine when, like, you know, when you're getting close to a big event, there, there's, you know, when you're close to New Year's, there's an excitement or when we're getting closer than the year. So there, there, there's a, there's an expectation in the air people are coming out to see him and all these people cross over the the sea and of galilee and and they come to him and uh and then we could read on in in verse five and six and then jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him this huge crowd of people they're they're looking for him they're searching for him wanting to follow him he said to philip where shall we buy bread for these people to eat he asked this only to test him for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And if I was Philip, I'd be thinking, what? Is, is this the time for a test, Jesus? Is, <laughs> this, <laughs> what's going on? All this, you know, it's hap- everything's going on and you're, you're testing me? Poor Philip, he, um, he, was, he got picked out. You know, the, the, I imagine the disciples, if I was one of them, were probably thinking, you know, it, yeah, I think I did make the right decision to follow this, this, this person. I, I think I made the right decision. He's, you know, it's all happening. These miracles are happening. He's, he's, you know, people are coming to see him. And now he's asking us how we're going to feed all these people. And they're all sort of scratching around, you know, and, 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 and it's a test though. And I just wonder if it's possible that sometimes the issues we face in our lives are actually a test from God. I was considering that this week as I was preparing. It's like maybe sometimes the things that we go through or the issues that come up are actually Jesus testing us, testing our faith. You know, is it possible that, you know, we need to sort of lean on him? And as as as, um, as um, Alison was saying, the supernatural provision, it's not within us. Sometimes it, it, it maybe is a test. And it's not to frustrate us but to teach us. It's to lead us into a place of greater dependence on him. And so he's asking Philip, how, what, Philip, how should we feed these people? And he's looking around, um, I, I don't know, it, you know, you know, let's read on. Philip answered him in verse seven. It would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each to just have one bite. Like they don't have the money. Like that's half a year of, of wages to do this. How, and where do we even buy it? And then another one of these disciples, Andrew, uh, who was Simon Peter's brother said, um, "Look, there's a boy here with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how how far is that going to go? That's that's like a couple of maybe a basket and some fish. That that's not going to go very far with these thousands of people. So they're going into solution mode. The disciples are trying to work it out in the natural. They're trying to think. Well, okay, he's asked us this question. How, how do we do this? There's, we don't really have the resources. We don't have stuff around us. They're only thinking." You know, even though Jesus had already by this stage, by the time we get to John 6, had already performed miracles, had already shown himself as, 
as 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 one of supernatural power they they're not they're not able to see it they can only see what's in front of them in the physical realm and so Jesus proceeds to we know the story really well he he feeds the crowd five thousand men um which at the time they they did count only the men uh don't know why don't ask me but uh, that's how the culture was so it, 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 you know most people estimate that there was about fifteen thousand people there if you include the women and the children. So he supernaturally multiplies a few loaves and some fish and feeds fifteen thousand odd odd people. Incredible! What what a what a what an amazing miracle! I mean, when you think about that and you think about how that happened and and how that was even like you just can't in your mind. It's it's an amazing miracle. It's a stunning miracle. And in the text, it, it doesn't indicate there's any that there was any great faith on display there you know the the disciples didn't know what to do they're scratching around it there was no faith it's just god's supernatural provision it's just jesus his supernatural provision in fact the disciples were pretty clueless about what to do but he fed them all he fed them he met their immediate needs just through his supernatural power and as, as amazing as it was, I think what happens next is, is just as incredible because in, in verse 14 we read this. It says, After the people saw the sign that Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is a prophet. It's a prophet. Look, it's an incredible miracle. This, this is a prophet who's come into the world. But Jesus, knowing what they intended, sorry, knowing that they intended to come and to make him a king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. You know, the people are amazed. They recognize, they recognize there's a power going on here. They recognize Jesus and they think of him as, they think he's a prophet. Finally sent by God. Is this the promised king that we've, we've been prophesied for centuries that's come to liberate us? Let's take it by force. Let's use our power to liberate us. Let's get back what's rightfully ours. Never mind that, you know, he's been telling them that he came to make them right from God. He hasn't been telling them that he, he has come to liberate them from, from captivity. He's telling them that he's came to make them right. And so he withdraws from them. He takes his presence away because they're trying to get Jesus to fit into a purpose that he wasn't. He didn't come for. He withdraws his presence. They weren't ready for the truth. They just wanted to take him by, by force to get jesus into a box to fix their problems and that you can understand why you know at the time this was at the time of these events you know the 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 jewish people had had centuries of 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 prophecy you know about the promised king you know the redeemer that would come from the seed of david who would bring them deliverance from their enemies and re-establish the kingdom of, of on the rule of david in Jeremiah 23, it says, Behold, the day is come, says the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. So this is one example. They had all these prophetic words. And and it, at the time of writing on this, it had been about 400 years since, since Malachi, since, since kind of the final prophet of the Old Testament. It had been a long time since Jesus had been speaking to his people. And there was about 60 years into Roman captivity so they were, they were probably desperate you know that had that had nothing for 400 years 60 years of Roman rule you know the iron rule of Rome over them you know it was a brutal rule and their hearts had turned cold to God and, and then the Pharisees are there with with by all accounts about 600 different rules of, of how to live and how to be righteous with God so 
there's a context there. You can imagine why they, they wanted that so desperately. They were desperate. You know, the circumstances around them dictated now. They're like, okay, we've got, this is a guy. Let's grab him. Let's take him. Let's, let's him, let him liberate us. Not that why he came, but that, that was the context. Even though he was revealing himself to them, that, that context, the, the, the position they were in, they were trying to, to force Jesus into something he didn't come to do. And so he was physically in their midst teaching about his kingdom, but their perception was clouded by, by their circumstances. See, their version was a Messiah who was going to come with military rule, with force. Their version of the Messiah is that he would, he would conquer their enemies. He would come in and wipe them out, like, you know, bring his angels down and, you know, they, they, and, and they, and we, and, and Jesus didn't come for that. He came for something different, as Adelson beautifully expressed earlier. And I wonder if, you know, in our culture, in, in, in our worldview around us, which, which, you know, is, is relative peace and prosperity that we have, you know, do we frame Jesus based upon that? Even though the truth he's revealing, how, do, how does that, how do we frame who he is? And, and I think in many ways, we've, we frame Jesus more like a Santa Claus or, or a genie, someone to meet our personal needs in many ways over the last, you know, 20, 30 years and, and, and life in church have we been framing Jesus as, 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 a, as someone so, you know, who's just come to meet our own personal needs and he, and he does do that. Of course he does that. He wants to bless us. He's come to give us blessing. He's come to meet our needs. But that's not the only reason he came. That's not the only reason he came. And often we'll frame who Jesus is based upon our circumstance and whether he meets or doesn't meet, whether we're in grief, whether we're in, in joy, whether we are, we end up framing Jesus based upon that. Because later on in eight in 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 John eighteen thirty six, which we'll get to maybe in a in a few weeks, but he, Jesus tells him that his kingdom is not of this world. His kingdom is not of this world. He's got a different agenda to reestablish his kingdom. He's got a different agenda, which is based upon an eternal perspective. And, and sometimes we, are so, like the Jewish people, were so caught up in our situation that we grab Jesus and say, "This is what, what, this is what you are. This is who you are to me. Meet me, meet my personal needs now. Get me through." But He's looking at you, at us through eternity. He's looking at eternal consequences of, of 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 what He wants to do for us. So we need to be very careful that our reaction is not based on the context of our lives and the circumstances, or even the popular worldview around us. You know opinion or whatever or science and all this stuff that goes around us but but actually understanding who Jesus is through the truth of the gospel amen let's read on in in 20 uh, I'll skip to verse 25 when they found him on the other side of the lake they asked him rabbi when did you get here because he had he had left them Jesus answered very truly I tell you you are looking for me not because of the signs I perform, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill, which is a verse I mentioned right at the beginning. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. And then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, simply to believe in the one who he has sent. You know, they're wanting to know what, what are the things we've got to do 
He's just saying, just believe. Believe in the one who he has sent, which is Jesus. So they asked him, okay, then what sign will you give us that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Still, they can't get out of this thing. What are you going to do? Give us a sign. There's more. We need more proof. What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said, very truly I tell you, it is not Moses who has given them you who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And then they wanted it. They said, Sir, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never go thirst never be thirsty. But as I told you, you have seen me, and still you do not believe. They still didn't believe. They were looking for him with the wrong motive. They searched for him because to fulfill their own needs, to fulfill their field, to get more of the physical bread. They wanted more of this magical chef, baker, king that was going to produce, who will keep the loaves coming, keep the loaves coming, Jesus, keep blessing us. And he tells them, you're not, you're not looking for me because of the real truth. You're looking for me be, just because to meet your physical needs. And they wanted a sign. He just performed one of the most amazing miracles in recorded history, and they wanted more signs. But he tells them, I'm the bread of life. And, and it's just a beautiful, it's just such a simple, such a short statement, but, but tells us so much. And this is what, and this is what an aspect of Jesus revealing himself. I am the bread of life. You know, bread, bread is a staple food. They understood it. They understood this, this imagery. They understood bread very well because as he said, as, as Allison said before, when they were in the wilderness, when they were in, in, you know, there was bread from heaven that came, you know, when, uh, during the Passover festival they were just about to go to, they, they had the unleavened bread. So they understood how staple, how important it was. And he said, I am this bread. I am that bread. It's an integral part of, of their society. And he's now telling them, well, I'm that bread. I'm the bread of life. It's an amazing statement. And there's, there's five aspects to it that I just, just want to work through. You know, the first thing is, is by equating himself as, as bread, what he was saying to them is that he's essential. Like Jesus is essential for life. You can't have a life without him. He's just as, as much as, as they needed the bread just to live on every day. He's saying, I am that bread for your soul, for your spirit. Like I'm essential for you. I, you, you need to have me. You know, you can't do this life without me. Like it's, it's crucial. It's essential. It's an essential part of their being. So the second aspect of, of this reference of him as a bread of life is that he's actually not referring to physical life. He's referring to eternal life. He's trying to get the Jews away from thinking about the physical realm into a spiritual realm. He says, I am this bread, me. He's contrasting what he brings as their Messiah with the bread that he miraculously created. The physical bread was going to perish, but he was his spiritual bread. The third important aspect is his... his you know, when he uses the terms I am, they understood that. They understood that that was, you know, in their scripture, just like, um, just like, uh, God spoke to Moses at the burning bush and revealed to him as the I am. They understood that it was, a, it was a phrase of, 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 of God, of, 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 a, of, you know, of self-sufficient God. 
So he's he's making a claim there that he is God, that I am. They understood that that terminology, that he was God, the God, the bread of life. He then tells him, he says, come and believe. It's an invitation for those who are listening to place their faith in Jesus, to make a choice, and it involves forsaking the world and coming to follow him. Believing in Jesus uh, means to place our faith in him. And the fifth thing is he tells them to, that he uses the words hunger and thirst. And he's not talking about alleviating a physical hunger or, or, or a physical thirst. He's talking to them about satisfying, like it says in Matthew 5, 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. He's telling to them that they will be satisfied. There's no need for to, to search, to keep looking for this, this warrior king. I will satisfy you. I will satisfy you in your spirit. They'll never hunger and thirst again. Beautiful. Let's read on to verse 51 to 56. And he says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. They said, how, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They still were thinking in the, in the physical. They still weren't getting what he was saying to them. How can he give us his flesh? Do, do you mean like it's, it's, it's vulgar and, 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 you know, they, in the scriptures, you know, the, the cannibalism—that's what they were thinking. It was, it was, it was horrible. It was something that they could never do. And then Jesus says, "And very truly, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is real food, and my blood is real drink." Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Obviously, we understand it's a metaphorical reference. He, doesn't, he wasn't referring to the physical eating of his flesh or, or drinking of his blood, but they, they, they weren't getting it. You know, what he's saying to them is, is that you're so dependent on me that, that, that you lay hold of the reality, you know, you, you lay hold of who I am, that you, you, you consume me. You consume the person, you consume what I am, the atoning sacrifice that I've made, you consume it. That you so believe in me, that you're dependent on me. Just like that consumed the manna, the supernatural held from heaven, you know, that consumed it to be able to eat. He's saying, I'm so essential, I'm so, you, you, you can't do it without me. You need to consume the very essence of who I am. Believe in me. And he's likening that to eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And of course, later we know that, as we did this morning, in, in, you know, before he, he went to the cross, that he told them um, at the Last Supper to eat the bread in remembrance of his body that was broken for us and to drink the wine in remembrance of his blood that was shed for us and that will be spilled. He wanted us to always remember how important that, that his, the essence of who he was that we needed. And they took, but the problem was they took that teaching literally because they were still only thinking in the natural. They're still only thinking. They're only seeing what's in front of them. They're still only seeing, you know, their view of who Jesus was. He's presenting miracles. He's presenting teaching. He's presenting theological 
truths about who he was and 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 not and not something they had they should know because this was prophesied this was part of their this was part of their story they should understand but he's presenting all of this and they're still not getting it they're still saying well what do you mean you you're asking us to to eat your flesh they're, they're, they're still not quite getting it because it's it's formed by their own their own circumstance and and what's going on around them the culture they were in they had their own agendas you know they were so only so focused on what jesus could do for them in the material world in what's going on around them they wanted their liberation that they couldn't see they missed the greater teaching they missed the eternal the eternal teaching that he's giving to them that who he was, why he came, that he was so essential, was a bread of life. Don't worry about what's going on around you. You know, those things will come and go. But he was necessary for us. He came to die as an atoning sacrifice for our sin so that we could be made right with God and got nothing, and not our good deeds and works, but by belief in him and belief of who he is. It's beautiful. Can I get the worship team to come up as I wrap this up? Verse 67. So they they couldn't accept the teaching and they left, a lot of them left. A lot of those people who had followed him, who had come from their, their houses and, and these crowds who, who were, it was buzzing, it was all, you know, all, now he gives them this teaching and they're like, oh, Oh, wow, we, we can't accept that teaching. A lot of them left. So they were following him not because of the truth of who he was or what he was trying to reveal. They were following him because of their own version of what they needed to be met, their own physical needs. That's why they were following him. It was a wrong agenda. It was a wrong context. And so quickly did they follow him. Quickly did they leave. They couldn't accept the teaching. He didn't come there just to make their lives better. He didn't come there just to to liberate them, even though that was even though they wanted that, they were crying out. He didn't come there for that. He came there to die for us. He came there for a much greater plan. A much greater plan. A much greater plan that they, they couldn't see at the time. And sometimes we can't see, even in our own culture, we get so mired in who Jesus should be to us, to meet meet my need, meet my need, bless me, bless me. And there's so much more. There's a greater kingdom plan at play that we that we forget, that we lose out on because of the culture around us, of that self-absorbed self-culture that is around us. We forget to see the bigger plan. So Jesus did these incredible miracles. He revealed himself. He told them, I'm the bread of life. And still they just left so quickly because they couldn't accept the teaching. And so they leave. And I love this question. It's beautiful. In verse 67, he says to his disciples, he said, You don't want you do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Oh what a question. Like imagine you're one of those one of the twelve and he's just sort of stunned, I think. The, these last couple of days from you know the, the the miracle and then the crossing over the gate and, and all that's happened and they're like well, what what just happened and all these people are now leaving and he's turned and he turns to them and says do you also want to go do you also want to depart from me and i love simon peter thank god for simon peter eh? bold disciple that he was he says lord to whom shall we go 
where 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 are we going to go? They were so bought in. They 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 just had given everything. He says, "You have the words of eternal life." He saw it in that brief moment. For all his faults, he saw it. He goes, "You have the words of eternal life." He was seen beyond what all the others were not seeing. We have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Great answer. What an answer. I wish if that was me, I would say the same. What a statement. To whom shall we go? Because there's a difference between being a follower of Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus. And there was a difference right there. Many followed. Many came quickly because of the miracles, because he was meeting their physical needs. But few stayed because they were real disciples. I would pray that we're a church of disciples, not just followers. A church that doesn't leave when things get tough or when things don't work out or, or not. I'm not talking about leaving the church, but I mean leave following him, lose our faith, lose heart just because things aren't working out the way we think they should be working out, just because God is not meeting the needs we think he should be meeting, just because in our mind that's what he should be doing for us. And I know we all go there. I've been there. We get upset at God. We question God. We, or we get just too busy. We get too busy with life that we forget. He is a bread of life, essential, crucial. We need him. We can't do this world without him. We can try, but we'll end up a mess. And so... They stayed and followed him. What a great decision that was. They birthed the early church. They fulfilled the purpose that they were called out for. Just wondering if we can stand and, and as we as we just pray to wrap this up. And that's a question I want to leave with you and I leave for myself, you know, am I a follower or am I a true disciple? Do I come and go? based upon my circumstances or am I so bought in am I so bought in am I so like given over to Jesus that no matter what's going on I just need him if you can close your eyes as Alison said just greater dependency I, I've, I've got to say that the more the older I get the more the more I journey through life the more I realize how much I need him every day just absolutely dependent on him whether it's, things are going well, whether they're not, you just need Him. And Father, I just pray right now that we are a, we are a congregation, that we are a household, that we are, we are a church, that we are a people that are so dependent on You, that You are the bread of life, Jesus, that we receive that revelation deep in our hearts, that it's not based on our circumstances, it's not based on whether You have answered our prayer or not, it's not based on the culture around us. It's not based on the worldview. It's based on the truth of who you are. You are the bread of life. You are the essence of life. We need you desperately. We depend on you. And I pray, Lord, when when things are tough, when lots go away and you turn and ask us, are you going to leave too? I pray that we answer like Simon Peter. Where shall we go, God? For you have the eternal life. I pray that we would answer that same question, each and every one of us. Where we go, we're, we're so committed in this journey with you, Lord. I thank you. I thank you, Lord God, that you are so faithful, that you will always provide, 
but I thank you, Lord. I pray that above our own material needs, that we learn what our part is in your kingdom, just like the disciples did, that we walk with you, fulfill what you have for us, not what the world has for us, what you have for us, God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness.